morning, you guys. Good morning. Let me try that again. That was mediocre at best. Uh, good morning, everyone. All right, I'm, I am John Lynch, and I am so delighted to be here, to, to be anywhere. I, I, I mean, gosh, you guys, I've been speaking, like this week, I will speak to a conference on my computer screen. It's just so wrong. It, so, and to be here in this place, wow, I have, this is, this is what I wanted church to be like all along. This is could not be more cool. Very, very cool what you guys are doing. John's down with his son down in Mexico and uh, building homes. And it's an, we've, we've talked for a long time about having me come. So I'm so grateful. Um, uh, public service announcement. Um, I just wrote this. On my worst day, uh, and it's, it's a journey into grace, into redemption. It, and I'm so proud of it. And I just want to tell you, you cannot successfully navigate the Christian life without this book. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, you, yes, probably you'll get to heaven, but when you get there, you'll have an obstructed view. And uh, one piece of pie will be all you get at mealtime. And, and I could be wrong, but why would you take the chance? Get the book, even if you don't want it. I don't care. Thank you. Ah, man, I'm jacked up doing this. This is super fun. Okay, let me first bring up the first slide. This is a, a picture of the church. The objective is not to build communities appearing to have sin under control. The objective is to nurture a place where people can stop faking that they have sin under control. Where they can come out of hiding and let others into their sin and their failure. And there, sin loses power. And we can be healed, trusting Christ's redemption and forgiveness and repentance. It is messy but utterly healthy. And those who live in it, they become free. And as they learn to receive love, they sin less. Guys, this, this is for this generation, for this community, what you guys are beautifully wanting to live out and are living out. And it's kind of where I'm going in this message. Um, let me tell you my story before I get into the theology. Um, I, I grew up in Southern California, Upland, California, and I had a great childhood for the most part. Just a, just a great childhood, living in that land, playing baseball till, till dark. And then we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, here, uh, over on the west side, and, and life got very, very good for me. I became a very good baseball pitcher. I made the all-state team uh, back in, I would have been 71, back in the dead ball era. Um, <laughs> but I made the all-state team. I was the student body president. And I had the homecoming queen as my girlfriend. 
life was very good for John Lynch right there. Uh, and then I went to Arizona State to continue my baseball, and um, I blew out my arm. And uh, this is the sad part of the story. Uh, my girlfriend, the homecoming queen, left me for a better pitcher. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't blame her, honestly. The guy had a slider that went right off the table. I mean, I, I, I was attracted to him. I, I mean, it, it was... <laughs> but, but something in what happened there to have someone know you so well and go away, it, it did something in me. Uh, the word shame. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there's something uniquely and irreparably wrong with who you are. No matter what you do, it's never going to change. And so I started walking with a limp. And I did things I never thought I would do. I was a jock. I was a baseball player. I was a, I, 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 that's what I did. I, I maybe had one beer in, in front of a, my friend's mom. That, and suddenly, I did everything that I said I would never do. I walked away from the straight life in terms of just wrong relationships outside of marriage. I did every kind of drug I could get my hands onto. I, I just got a 60 ragtop VW and just rode around the country, just trying. I was looking for God and I didn't know it. I waited tables all up and down the coast in restaurants until people get to know me and then I'd leave. I ended up in um, Tucson and I, 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 I reached to the high career destination of spraying numbers on curbs people's houses and I would give my plasma so I could get more dope <laughs> one day I had the idea I, 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 like, I had the idea I should go into teaching <laughs> what here kids come follow me yeah but I did I went back to Arizona State I got my degree in uh, secondary ed and teaching for English and drama and the first play that I cast was a Woody Allen play. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I cast most of the kids in the play were Young Life kids. <laughs> and they would talk to me about Jesus after rehearsal. Now, if it was you, I wouldn't let you. I was an atheist. My dad was a Mensa atheist. And I, I had nothing, no, no, no way are you going to talk to me about God. But they were kids. So I let them. And then a chain of events. Someone got me a Keith Green album. And for the first time, I, I heard Christian music that didn't sound like skating music. <laughs> and, then, and then someone gave me Bob Dylan's Slow Train Coming. I'm thinking, if Bob Dylan's become a believer, the boat door's going to close here in a hurry. <laughs> and, I, and then someone gave me, uh, right, right around Christmas time, December 18th, someone gave me C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. And I, all these things, I started reading the Bible. 
And all these things converged. December 23rd, 1979, I was going out to run. And instead, I went down to my knees and said, Jesus, I don't know what to do, but I know that I want you. Come into my heart, whatever that means. I do believe you're the son of God, and I do believe that you, you died and rose if I was the only person on the planet. I don't know how to say this. I'm messing it all up. Please be my God. I don't know what else to do, and if you won't have me, I don't know where I'll go. moment he came into my heart and I became a new creature and I got to tell you I don't know what it was like because I did acid and stuff I think he felt like he had to make it a real big deal so he he I, 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 I felt stuff like I've never felt before I felt like electric like like I, could, like, like I could go into a, a, a mall and I could say to a guy across the store hey you sir there yes Fall on your knees and trust Jesus. And the guy would go, all right. <laughs> it was incredible. And I started reading the Bible. I went down and I, I got a Bible. I got a black Bible. I knew to be official, it had to be a black Bible. And uh, I went down to the bookstore and got one. And I started reading it through stuff I'd never read. I, I just, I didn't know. And the first time I would go through, this it was all during Christmas break, so I was reading like 11, 12 hours a day, and I'm, I'm underlining the first time I go through. The second time I go through, I'm making circles around it. And third time through, I'm, I'm writing, yay, God, in the columns. And the fourth time through, I'm, I've got fireworks exploding. And, and someone said to me, John, um, you read so much, you are so into this. You know, you, you ought to go. There's a place that they have called seminary. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. Uh, um, I've got dope resin still in my fingers. And, and uh, these guys, I know them. They got the corduroy coats with the elbow patches. It's, it's not my crowd. And he said, no, 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 just give it a try. God's doing a whole new thing. And so I did. I put an, an application. And... Um, it said all these things. Tell us about your Christian service. Um, none. <laughs> Tell us about your influences in the Christian life. Who has influenced you? Uh, nobody. I once saw the movie Heidi. Uh, I had nothing. I had, I had absolutely nothing. And, and I, I wrote in there, I said, I don't have any money. I have the retirement for my teaching, and that's all I would have. But I really want to study your word and who you are who God is and they let me in they must have really been in hard times but they let me in and I went to seminary I drove out to California in another VW that was paving the, the streets with the oil that was dripping out from the bottom and I went to seminary and I got my masters of divinity graduated Capital Epsilon. And I learned the original languages. And a strange thing happened. All I wanted to do, you guys, when I became a believer, I, I thought the end was going to come once I trusted Jesus. That's how self-centered I was. Okay, John's in, and now. And, <laughs> and when he didn't, that's all I wanted to do is get on a bicycle and ride across the country to different coffee shops and tell people about Jesus. 
And now I knew the original languages. And now I was supposed to be a, a pastor, a religious man, clergy, a man of the cloth. And, uh, and, and something happened to me. This guy who came to Christ alive and free and clean and fearless without pretense, four years later, I walked out of seminary with the appearance of godliness. Preparing for ministry, I found myself trying to appear pastoral, wise, together, godly, pretending to like things I didn't and not like things I still did. I was afraid to admit struggles in my marriage. I was afraid to talk about wrong thoughts and feelings that I still had. I didn't know, you guys, I didn't know anything about a community like what we put up on the screen a moment ago. I was trying to do it by myself. All of us are awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my world, stuck with unresolved issues whose symptoms I'm trying to fix, all without the help of anybody else. And the answer that a community like that has is this. What if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would be loved more, not less, in the telling of it? I didn't know that yet. See, see throughout Scripture, here's, here's the, the one commandment, John 13, 34. He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Sorry, I know I'm not supposed to do that in the pandemic. Um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love each other. It's, it's not the 11th command. It's a whole new order command. For the first time, someone can obey a command and not rebel. I have a new heart. You have a new heart. And so this is it. He says, I'm going to give you the way. In fact, it's not even really a command. It's what you want to do because the most real you, once you put your hope in Jesus, at your core, you're not self-centered. At your core, you want to love. You want to love with everything that's in you. So it's not a command. It's like saying, eat more chocolate. <laughs> All right. It'll help the team. Okay. Yeah. And, then, and then Paul comes along in the epistles, and he makes this incredible statement. He ties it together with what Jesus said in uh, Galatians 6.2. He says, bear one another's burdens. And when you do that, you will fulfill the law of Christ. He says, I want you for the rest of your life, this is your deal now. Bear one another's burdens, love one another. And when you do that, you'll fulfill that one law that you talked about back there. Eat more chocolate. Bear one another's burdens. Literally, when you see them hurting, when you see them failing, when you see them out of control, when you see them confused and freaked out by this life, even though you don't have all the answers, stand with them. Get under and lift. You, you can mess up on a bunch of stuff, but that's what I want you to do. How do I do it? How do I do it when I'm a 
a person who has so much issues on my own. This is, this, I can't believe this verse is in the Bible. It promises so much and it gives so much. Uh, if you'd put up Romans 6.14 for just a second, look what it says. This is how we do this. Sin will not be master over you because you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. Sin will not be master over you because you're not, no longer under, under buck-upism or moralism or striving or putting your best foot forward or bluffing or trying to hide. Sin will not be master over you because you're under grace. <laughs> grace. 122 times in the New Testament. You can't say it except for in Scottish or Irish. <laughs> for this is the manner in which God speaks. Grace! And there's a tragedy in that verse, too. The inverse is also true. Um, sin will be master over you if you are under law. If you try to perform, if you try to fake it, if you try to do your own willpower, if you try to somehow do enough to make him happy, to, sin's going to eat you alive. Grace. Grace. It is the absolute and unforced favor gained by Christ's death and resurrection, allowing God to be completely for us and endlessly in love with us apart from anything we have to prove. Grace is an actual realm, a way of life in which we no longer strive for acceptance. We mature and heal and we are released into his intentions by trusting this, that Jesus and all of his power is fused into us now, creating an entirely new person. Christ in me! Phew, on my worst day. Uh, grace, because I, I know the rap. Grace is not to free us from obeying the heart of God. Grace is the nutrient-rich soil that the seeds of truth drop into so they're not choked by the self-condemnation of failure. Instead, no longer afraid of God's disgust, we can obey God from the heart rather than from compliance. And we grow into a beautiful, healthy tree giving shade and safety to others. Grace. It's all over Scripture. It's like for a while there was a there was a scales on our eyes and we couldn't see it. 2 Timothy 2.1 My son, you be strong. And you would expect, expect him to say, in the willpower and striving, he says, you be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Acts 20.32 I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up. Let us draw near. Romans 5.2, with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need, in the tight times, the hard times, the passages that we can't get through, the stuck times, the pandemic times, the chronic times, the things that feel like they will never make sense again. He says, grace is for. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've obtained our introduction into this grace in which we stand. Grace, it ignites the power of my new identity in Christ. Grace neutralizes sin's power by freeing me from the law. 
No, the law. How do I explain it? Here, here's the law. I'm walking along on the sidewalk, and there's a beautiful park next to me, and then I see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass. And I look at the sign, I'm thinking, well, I wasn't going to, but I will now. <laughs> I will spend the rest of my days just writing out the lynch name in dead grass. That's what the law does. It makes a rebel out of us. And Jesus came and said, I will take and I will complete the law so you don't have to play that game anymore. It takes that power. Grace trades in my anemic strength for his power, a new me. Grace trades away the weariness of bluffing adequacy. Grace destroys abandonment and rejection and condemnation. Grace says you are accepted and loved and enjoyed always. Grace says he's never disgusted or angry with you. Grace pours the blood of Jesus over every single offense. Grace puts a robe of Christ's righteousness on me and in me. Grace says, To the exact, Jesus talking, to the exact degree that my Father loves me, so also I love you. Is that crazy talk? How can that be? I mean, question his taste, but don't question his character. Jesus saying, to the exact extent that my Father loves me, and I'm thinking that's some significant love, so also. I love you, and you, and you, and you, and way, way back in the corner, you. That's what grace says. Grace says, there's a role of Christ's righteousness on me. Grace says, I'll never give up on you. I'll never grow tired of you. Grace says, you're a new creation, a categorically new creature. Your old life is over, and its shame has no claims on you anymore. Grace says, my love has no gradations. No matter what you do, I cannot love you more, and I will not love you less. Grace allows me a blamelessness that can allow me to receive criticism and correction without it defining me. Long time ago, when I was just learning these truths of identity in Christ, I wrote a piece. I call it the New Testament gamble. I put, I put it in the book. Um, because now I had kids. Caleb was 10, and Amy was 8, and Carly was 2, and it had to hold up. It was okay if it didn't hold up for me, but it had to hold up for them. Is this true? And so I wrote a piece from God's vantage point saying, what if I tell them who they are? What if I take away any, any element of condemnation or judgment or rejection? What if I tell them that I love them and that I'll always love them? That I can't love them more than I love them right now and I love them right now no matter what they've done as much as I love my only son. That there's nothing they can do to make my love go away. What if I told them they were righteous with my righteousness right now? What if I told them they could stop beating themselves up? They could stop being so formal and stiff and weird and jumpy around me? What if I told them that I was absolutely crazy about them? What if I told them if they ran to the ends of the earth and did the most unthinkable, horrible things when they came back, I would receive them with tears and a party? What if I told them I don't keep a log of past defenses of how little they pray or made promises that they don't keep? 
What if I told them they don't have to be owned by men's religious additions or traditions? What if I told them if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what, it's a done deal? What if I told them that they had a new nature, that they were saints, not saved sinners who should buck up and be better now after all he's done for you? What if I told them I actually live in them now, that I've put my love and power and nature inside them at their disposal? What if I told them they didn't ever, ever have to put on a mask? That it's absolutely perfect to be exactly who they are at this moment? <clears throat> what if they knew that they don't have to look over their shoulder for fear if things get too good, the other shoe's going to drop? What if, for all those who have put even feeble hope in me, what if they knew that I will never, ever, 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 no, never, ever, ever use the word punish? in relation to them? What if they were convinced that bad circumstances are not my way of eating in the score for taking advantage of me? What if they knew the basis of our friendship isn't on how little they sin, but on how, let, how much they let me love them? What if they had permission to stop trying to impress me in any way? What if I told them they could hurt my heart, but I'd try to never hurt those? What if I told them I kind of like Eric Clapton's music too? that the these and thous have always confused me? What if I told them I never really was that fond of the Christmas handbell deal with the white gloves? What if I, I told them they could open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I told them it was not about their self-effort, but allowing me to live my life through them? That's, that's the New Testament gamble. And we're the guinea pig test. By trusting Christ in us, Will it make us less interested in him? Or will it free us and draw us to receive his love with all of our heart? That's the gamble. That's the gamble. Bad religion hurts a lot of people. This frees them. This gospel. I don't even call it the gospel of grace. It's just the gospel. Well, I stumbled into an environment of grace. Um, I came to wow them with my preaching, and they loved and endured me, and patiently the, the environment pulled me back from a doctrine of performance, buck-up, epistemology, and replaced it with new identity and grace and love and joy, no condemnation and freedom and trust and safety and vulnerability and playfulness. That theological shift has over time allowed me to no longer hide. It's allowed me to trust others with me, to accept that God's never ashamed of what's really true about me presently, to rest in my new identity and the Spirit's power to grow me up from the inside out, to cultivate authentic, vulnerable friendships and relationships. So what if we courageously began to nurture such kind of grace-based environments where godliness is not based on appearance or how many wrong things you do not do, where we applaud exposure and don't reject those who are failing, where the environment is safe enough for me to try out my faith instead of bluffing it, where the goal is not that anything gets fixed but that nothing ever has to be hidden. 
where we learn how to love rather than attempting to manage our stuff? Well, I, um, I'm an answer to such a question. Because over time, this old chameleon has learned these truths. I've learned acceptance and humility and trust. I've learned heartfelt obedience over compliance. I'm able to work harder in grace than by any other motivation. I've worked through horribly hard stuff without having to run. I've learned to trust the power of this new life in me. I'm no longer hidden. I don't wear a mask. I'm able to offer freedom for others to not hide. I'm able to offer others to Jesus. I'm no longer trying to impress you with the appearance of godliness. That train has left the station and I didn't get on it. So, what if I was real? You don't know who I am, really. I mean, I'm just a talker dude up here that somebody invited. So what if I was real? What if you really, what if I let you know me? I mean, not completely. But not just transparent appearing with no intention of letting anyone help, but really known. What, what if I let that be true in my life? What if I let people know me with the intention of them standing with me and filling the cracks? Ah, but see, uh, see, see, there you go. I remember old girlfriends. They got to know me really well, and they left. And Jesus says, kid, um, I already know everything. I've seen everything that you're going to show me that's messed up. And there are some things you, you just need to know down the road that are weird that you do. <laughs> and I already know, and I'm not going to leave. I love you so much. I love you as much as any other human being on this planet. And I can't love you any more than I do, and I will never love you less, and I'll be your safety in your exposure. Okay, so uh, what if I tell you the truth about me? Uh, some of these hopefully are a little funny and some of them are very serious. What if I told you that I really didn't relate to or enjoy most of the Christian music that was available the first 15 years of my faith? It did, it all sounded like skating music. Here was one of the hits songs that we sang uh, when I was new in my faith. <clears throat> I've got oil in my Ford, keep me trucking for the Lord. I've got oil in my Ford, amen, hallelujah. I think people actually left Jesus because of that song. I just couldn't relate, it was too weird to me, it was too funky. And what if you knew that I really do like Tom Waits? and Amos Lee, and Bruce Coburn, and Justin Vernon, and Jason Isabel, and Mindy Smith, and John Hyatt, and Bob Dylan, and Ellis Paul, and David Ramirez, and Foy Vance, and J.J. Gray, and Mofro, and Pat Metheny, and Lauren Daigle, and that really old group of Cajun guys named Little Feet. Oh! <laughs> what if you knew that, um, I get really uncomfortable in Christian bookstores. They're so quiet. I, I want to run around, pull my pants up like that, and just say, hey, 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 everybody. We win, remember? 
What if you knew that I, Stacy always says, perhaps you could leave this one out. Uh, what if you knew that I, uh, I would rather visit the hand lo lotion boutiques with my wife than Home Depot with the guys? <laughs> I'm just joking, I did this, not true. Um, <laughs> and what if you knew that I am fragile and I'm not strong in ruling I'm, uh, my gift is mercy? What if you knew that I don't pray as much or maybe the way that you think I should? What if you knew, um, what if you knew that sometimes I, I'm faithless with incredible fear? What if you knew that um, Stacy says that I can hurt her and make her feel stupid? So what if you knew that? What if you knew that at parties, in the communities that I help start, I can feel alone and sometimes not want to be there? And what if you knew that I have neuropathy and sometimes the, the burning pain gets so bad that I, I want to abandon all my commitments and just go to heaven? call out and say, please, God, what if you knew that that was true about me? What if you knew that in fifth grade I got violated, really badly violated, and I carried it all the way through my teens and 20s and 30s? In fact, we wrote the book True Face, and I still had never told anyone. That's how strong shame is. I never told anyone because I was afraid you'd leave me or I'd lose my seat at the table or that you'd pity me. So, um, what if I told you all those things? Would I be less godly? Hold, hold it. I used to think so. But the godly are those who believe God, period. The godly are those who believe God, period. Not those who just keep from doing enough wrong things. The godly are those who trust him with them. Another question, would, would others find me less godly? Just the opposite has been my experience. I have been trusted by so many because I've been vulnerable with them. So they feel the permission to be vulnerable with me. It's beautiful. And so the chameleon who spent a lifetime pretending he was someone else so that he would be accepted and loved is gradually learning to believe that he is loved and accepted fully. And like the Velveteen Rabbit, he's becoming real. Now, let me say one last thing. Um, here's what the deal is. For the longest time, I thought Jesus, when I first came to know him, he was right here, but then I started messing up the things I want to do. I don't do the things I do. I don't want to. Oh, Romans 7, 
and, and gradually I thought Jesus went around my sin on the other side. And as my mound of sin kept getting bigger, I didn't seem to be able to fix it. And so Jesus, after a while, I just couldn't see him anymore. I had like the haze of this pussy sin mound. Just, it's like he was on the other side. I imagined that he was over there with his arms folded, saying to himself, I had so much hope for that kid. He has let me down so many times. I don't want to hear it. And I might say to him, um, hey, uh, I love, <clears throat> look, this, this sin, I'm going to get it fixed. You watch. You, and, and when I do, we're going to get closer. You're going to get closer and closer and closer. But nobody tells me that there's nothing I can do to fix that mound. And truckloads more of it are brought in each day. But instead, what if the shed blood of Jesus Christ was this strong? That for anybody who's put his hope in him, he's never been over on that other side. Instead, he walks all the way around and he comes up to within like uh, 18 inches of my face and he smiles that smile that no other human can make. And he says, I know. And then, then he grabbed me and pulled me into a bear hug. So tight, so and I want to, first I want to say, no, 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 you don't just stop. You got the wrong person. But he keeps holding me so tight. And I keep fighting it. And then, then I don't want to fight it. I've waited all my life for this. I just want him to hold me like this forever. And he keeps whispering, I know, kid, and I'm not ashamed. I'm not disgusted. I love you so much. I'm, I'm crazy about you. He keeps whispering those things to me. I know, I know, no, I know. And he keeps holding me until he's absolutely convinced that I believe him. And then and only then does he start to release his grip. And then only so much so that he can put his arm around me. So that he and I can look at my stuff together. Not over there, but here. I, every time I say these things, I imagine him Jesus, his arm around me, looking at my sin, I imagine him saying, <clears throat> well, <laughs> my, 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 don't you ever sleep? <laughs> and then he would say, I got you. And we've got this. I'm not ashamed, kid. I love you so much. So this is, this is grace. And oh, this is your Jesus. This is my Jesus. This is the one that I showed up for on December 23rd, 1979. And he is here for you. I don't care. He doesn't care what you've done. He just wants a way in. He wants you to let him love you.
not perform for him. And the payoff is you'll learn to love more and you'll sin less. This is not religious consolation. This is yours. As the band comes up, let me just pray this. Father God, um, what is this that before the world began, you prepared to have this guy come out of nowhere and speak to this beautiful community? Father, would you let us have that breakthrough? If we've seen God as an angry God, as a God who's never satisfied, who's disgusted, would you break through to that heart right now? And I ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.